Professor, welcome to Conversation With. Thank you. How do you assess President Trump's term of office up till now, vis-a-vis China? Well, I think his uh, term has uh, introduced a lot of uncertainties in the relationship uh, and uh, has taken us uh, on a roller coaster <laughs> trip. <laughs> One day he would do that, this, and the other day he would do that. It's difficult to get used to it. For example, before he entered in, into office and, and uh, right after the election, uh, he took the phone call with Tsai Ing-wen. You know. uh, this was regarded as a big provocation. Uh, and then he promised uh, to President Xi that uh, he would not change the One China policy. And then he signed the Taiwan Travel Act. Uh, and then on the Korean issue, he said he would meet Kim Jong-un, and then he said he would not meet Kim Jong-un, then, and then the next day he said he would meet Kim Jong-un, you know. So, well, it makes life more interesting, but difficult to adjust. You mentioned uh, the issue of Taiwan and uh, with uh, Dying Wen. President Xi gave uh, a, pretty, a pretty strong worded uh, speech uh, at uh, the Party Congress some, uh, some months ago, and in which it was uh, obviously referring also to places like Taiwan. Uh, and do you see Taiwan being uh, a major friction point again for China? It has the potential to become a major friction point. It depends on how the Trump administration is going to do with the issues uh, related to the, uh, the bills it has passed recently. For example, one bill allows the U.S. warships to dock in the Taiwan harbor. Another bill uh, allows administration officials, high-ranking officials, to go to Taiwan. Uh, if he acts on these things, uh, if he sends a warship to Taiwan's harbor, if he send a senior official to, to Taiwan, I, I think uh, the Taiwan issue will become very explosive. China-U.S. relationship would enter into a kind of a confrontation mode. I'm not <laughs> bluffing. <laughs> uh, China and the Taiwan issue has been the most sensitive issue uh, in China-U.S. relationship okay, since the founding of the PRC. For the 20, first 20 years, okay, uh, we didn't have diplomatic relations because of the Taiwan issue. Okay. Of course, the Korean War has something to do with it, but afterwards, it was the Taiwan issue that blocked the improvement and normalization of the relationship. And China established diplomatic relations with the U.S. Uh, on the condition that the U.S. withdraw its troops from Taiwan sever uh, uh, its uh, diplomatic relations with Taiwan and also uh, abrogate uh, the treaty, uh, defense treaty with Taiwan. So only after the U.S. did these three things did China agree to establish diplomatic relations with the U.S. Perhaps that President Xi is more uh, intractable about this 
uh, issued where possible possibly previous administrations were of in, in China um, didn't want to highlight it as much. He seems to be very firm about this, you know, what is China? This is issue that no Chinese leader can take a stack backward, can take a backward step. There is a red line there. So uh, we hope that the, the, the administration uh, would understand, would appreciate, appreciate this. In the past, we tried to manage the Taiwan issue. Uh, and during the past few years, actually, it was managed pretty well. Okay. And now, uh, suddenly, it became a big issue, in part because of the election of the DPP into the office in Taiwan, and Tsai Ing-wen's refusal to come back to the 92 consensus, in part because uh, of the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the two governments' uh, efforts not to highlight this issue. But now DPP has come into office, Tsai has refused to come back to the 92 consensus, and the Trump administration, or at least the Congress, has been very aggressive in terms of pushing the Taiwan issue. So uh, uh, as far as I can see it, uh, where uh, the, the U.S. policy on Taiwan is moving in a dangerous direction. On a scale of 1 to 10, sir, how would you rate it? Are we over 5? I think at least we are near there if we are not crossing over 5. What kind of superpower is China going to be? China wants to be a benign superpower, <laughs> if it has to be a superpower. Is there China such a used thing to say we will never be a superpower. Uh, uh, but the problem is, uh, you know, uh, the Chinese understanding of superpower is different from other people's understanding. I think you, China, Chinese used to understand superpower in terms of a uh, country that bullies others. Okay. Uh, but uh, a superpower is the country whose power is much greater than other powers. Okay. Uh, that's the normal uh, conventional understanding of the word. If China has to be a superpower, then China wants to be a benign superpower. What does that mean? <laughs> That's the question. I think if you look at the rhetoric uh, of the Chinese government, uh, you get some idea. China wants to be a superpower of the existing international order. China supports the UN Security Council decisions. Okay. It always calls on the respect for the authority of the UN Security Council. China wants to have a free and open trading system. And China believe, at least uh, calls for multilateral cooperation. China wants to have climate global efforts to reverse the climate change. And China wants to have, uh, you know, uh, to, to defend the non-proliferation regime. So if you look at uh, the, the Chinese uh, leaders' statements uh, and government official policy papers, this is the idea you, you, you get about what China thinks uh, uh, is a benign power. Okay. Let's look at, uh, as you say, the rhetoric, uh, first on the economic side, so as an economic superpower. 
China's talked about free trade and so on and so forth, uh, and has been uh, very vocal about this. But the Americans would argue that China's still extremely protectionist and that it's very high levels of uh, support for the state-owned enterprises, which doesn't exist in the U.S. Exactly. Uh, I think uh, this has uh, 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 something to do with two things. One is China used to be a developing country until even today, China is still a developing country. Actually, China is both a developing country and a developed country at the same time, depending on where you look. Okay. So as a developing country, you enjoy certain kind of, uh, you know, protectionism. <laughs> uh, but I think that China uh, realizes this and has been trying to uh, do something about it, especially in the wake of the trade disputes between China and the U.S. recently. The other question is a much broader one, that is um, uh, the, the way of development uh, between uh, China and the U.S. The U.S. Uh, way of development is uh, market-centered. China's way of development is state-centered. Centered, okay. In the old days, this was not a problem. Okay because China's economy was weak and relatively small. Uh, Americans believe that the state too much intervention in the marketplace only produces inefficiency. So they are not worried about Chinese way of development. But now China's economy has become big. And then China's economy has become quite efficient. And then Americans are worried about the Chinese way of development. So they are complaining about made in China 2025 uh, all the time. Right? Uh, so uh, it creates a new problem. That is, uh, they are not, well, it reflects that they are not that confident about their theory anymore, but they are not willing to change. In other words, they will remain market-centered approach. Uh, they'll stick to their market-centered approach. But for the Chinese government, uh, you know, the state-centered approach or government-centered approach has been working. Okay. Why should China change? Okay. So here we have a problem, and this is the problem that we are going to uh, face in the days to come. That is, China and the U.S. are going to fight over this. Okay. I think uh, maybe eventually both sides have to make some kind of accommodation. China probably should let the market <laughs> make greater uh, to play a greater role in terms of allocating resources, whereas the U.S. probably would uh, uh, have its own uh, way of uh, increasing government intervention into the marketplace. Well, that is what perhaps President Trump would argue he's doing, is a bit he of a protectionism on his particular industries that he considers vulnerable. Like he is steel. doing that. Yes. Actually, the U.S. government has always uh, intervened in the marketplace uh, in, in various kinds of ways in terms of... Uh, uh, military industries, uh, in terms of uh, investing in in in, uh, in uh, scientific research, 
in terms of uh, uh, subsidizing certain type of industries. They're supposed to so, build out their own banks. So they, but, but then the, the main thrust is uh, market-centered. Uh, uh, on the Chinese side, we have our own market. <laughs> it's very competitive. But then we have, uh, but then the the government role is uh, much bigger than that of the U.S. So if ultimately maybe both sides uh, need to make uh, some kind of adaptation to the middle, so that uh, they they don't complain that much about each other. Let's look then at militarily China as a military superpower. What is China going to be like uh, as a military superpower? I think China is still in the process of learning. Uh, you know, only until recently, Chinese government spent, uh, uh, you know, s sufficient money to push for decent maritime force. In the old days, the development is mainly uh, on the army and the air force. Uh, uh, now more investment in the maritime force. I think this has a lot to do with China's first integration with the outside world. Okay, more and more Chinese investment going overseas. More and more Chinese uh, live and uh, travel overseas. So basically, China has more interest overseas to protect. That's on the demand side. On the supply side, China's economy has developed pretty well over the years. And now China, Chinese government is, uh, is rich in a way. Uh, with uh, money to uh, to spend on the on the hardware uh, of the military, so uh, and technologically, uh, China has ha has uh, developed a certain kind of a technological skills so that they can make uh, a certain kind type of warships, uh, aircraft including carriers. aircraft carriers. Exactly, yeah. because aircraft carriers are seen symbolically as a projection of power into the blue water, in other words, into overseas, other places. Do you see China trying to protect its uh, overseas interests uh, with aircraft carriers? It's not inconceivable. Uh, well, 10 years ago, people would say it's inconceivable <laughs> China would do that. But now it's not inconceivable. Yes, and previously uh, also China described their interests in a way that indicated that it was really centered around, so to say, a land-based. Whereas now, if you're saying that economic interests are also fundamental national interests, and that means the world could be well, China's interests. Well, this is not just to protect China's interests. And China would realize that you know, it also needs to protect the international order in order to protect China's interests. So in a way, I think China, I mean, the ideal uh, uh, situation would be China, the U.S. and other countries work together to protect our people uh, all over the world, uh, to protect our assets all over the world, to make sure that, that uh, the terrorists, the pirates will not prevail. Okay. So uh, that's a utopian ideal. Uh, it's it? not utopian. Actually, it's in our fundamental interest. The problem is uh, the military development have been so politicized. If you take away the politicized aspect, uh, then uh, real uh, and look at the fundamental interests of the two countries. It's in their interest to work together rather than confront each other. Can you imagine a world without the U.S., without the U.S. being a major influence, a superpower? Uh, this is quite hypothetical. Uh, I can't imagine uh, because I, 
have not lived <laughs> in, a, in a world without the U.S. Uh, I think the U.S. has always been there. Uh, it has played a role, whether you like it or not, uh, that would uh, have uh, far-reaching significance, uh, implications for everybody's life in this world. Well, and China is playing that role, uh, playing a, a similar kind of role. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, uh, breadth and depth. Japanese Foreign Minister Taro Kono said actually on this show that he thought that China needs to learn how to be a superpower. Would you agree? Uh, certainly. This is a new role for us. As a superpower, you cannot uh, take a free ride anymore. <laughs> unlike an average country, uh, or unlike China in the past, okay. you, you can only protect your interests by uh, maintaining the international order. It's a very different role. And China has grown too fast to make the change. So China has a lot to learn to make sure that uh, uh, its interests are protected in the right way. Okay. Uh, how to make the world uh, safer, more stable, freer, uh, and uh, more open. Uh, this is a big challenge. Uh, and how to work together for the common goods. Okay. How to lead other countries to work together in, for the common good. That's a big, a big challenge. Okay. Uh, so uh, China has a lot to learn and has to learn it very quickly because China has been rising very fast. And being a superpower also carries a certain amount of moral responsibility as well. Um, will China be able to have that same sense of legitimacy? At least the Americans would purport that they have uh, a great deal of moral legitimacy because they're an elected government, uh, whereas China is not. Well, the U.S. Uh, has a lot to reflect Every country has a lot to reflect, uh, including the U.S. Uh, uh, the U.S. has a lot of positive influence in the world, uh, but also has made some uh, biggest blunders. Okay. Uh, China, uh, of course, uh, has a lot to learn uh, how to play a role in the modern world, okay. how to play a, a role that is appreciated by other countries, and how to reform itself to be able to be respected and appreciated and admired. Prof, thank you very much for being on Conversation With. Sure, thank you.